and welcome to Greeks and Geeks, the podcast where I take us on a persnickety but fun journey deep diving into the lore behind our favourite stories. I'm your host Sabrina and today in our last episode of the series we're going to be doing something a little bit different. I'm putting the books down, abandoning the notes and not even so much as thinking of Google Scholar. This is going to be a real unfiltered roast of one of Greek mythology's most famous heroes. Listen, the thing about me is that I really do try to be as nice and polite as I possibly can be. I am often the Aziraphale to my friends Crowley, if you will. However, there are certain topics or even phrases that will set me off on angry rants of epic proportions. Stuff like the Magic Stonehenge microchips in Halloween 3, which I yelled about in a previous episode entitled Kiki's Delivery Service versus the Satanic Panic. Microtransactions in video games. And when people call chorizo, chorizo. Where's the tea? Where is the tea? You get the idea. One thing that gets my blood boiling the most, though, are characters or books that I hate. Now, I don't often hate characters or books, but when I do, oh, you bet, I'll hate them with every fibre of my soul. So, let's get into it with our first ever Greeks and Geeks roast. The roast of the great Greek king, Agamemnon. Agamemnon was a famous Greek king. One of the wealthiest kings, if not the richest king in Greece at the time around the Trojan War. His great-great-grandfather was a man named Tantalus, a famous inhabitant of Tartarus, for attempting to test the gods' omnipotence by feeding his son to the gods. So already off to a great start. But I suppose it's unfair to judge someone based on their family. Okay, let's judge him on his wealth instead. He's a rich monarch. That automatically puts my back up. But hey, some people are wealthy. That doesn't mean they're bad, right? They could, I don't know, donate to charity. They could be like Henry VII, who loved his wife and wanted an end to the bloodshed of the War of the Roses. And he generally seemed like a good bloke. He could have been like Mansa Musa, thought to have been the richest person who ever lived, let alone monarch, but who was also known for his generosity towards those in need. He could have been all of those things. But Agamemnon is more Musk than Musa, more Henry VIII over Henry VII. Instead of focusing on the needs of his people and subjects, he abandoned them to kickstart a war or to get his brother's wife back. Side note, mini roast of Agamemnon's brother Menelaus here. His wife Helen often gets a bad rep for running off with Paris, but Menelaus was off hunting or something at the time when she ran off. It's ancient times, and a dude decides, hoop doop, I'm gonna go off and leave my wife. My wife, who is known to be the most beautiful and originally most sought after bachelorette in antiquity, and she's gonna leave her alone with this strange and also beautiful man who I've just met. I'm sure nothing bad will happen. Bloody idiot. For one thing, that's not showing good xenia, which is hospitality, it's a big thing in ancient Greece. And for another thing, well, it's just not showing very good genre awareness, is it? Listen, I'm just saying, when Jonathan Harker entered Dracula's castle and was like, huh, a 
sky crawling up walls sure is weird. Well, anyways, I better write down that paprika recipe for my future wife. Oh my god, I love her so much. We love him. Because he's not genre aware, but he's also not hurting anybody. And nobody knew what a Dracula was in his time anyways, so he gets a free pass. He's trying his best. He's doing his job. It's hard being a 20-something and entry-level position, you know? Leave him alone. On the other hand, Menelaus is a king. He's a king in ancient times. He should bloody well know better. And his lack of genre awareness causes death and suffering to tons of people. Well, no, that's, that's downplaying it. Like, hundreds, thousands of people. So much suffering. Endless suffering. The biggest suffering you'll ever see. But this makes Agamemnon even worse. You abandon your people, your family, to help your idiot brother sort his messes out. And I know, I know the Greek kings made a pact with each other to wage war if Helen was stolen. Which, by the way, ick. But at that point, I reckon the convo should have gone a bit like this. Menelaus saying, bro, help, my wife got nicked. Agamemnon being like, oh dang, how'd that happen? Menelaus being like, I left her alone in a house with a stranger and he ran off of her. And Agamemnon being like, sorry, you what, mate? And then Agamemnon kicks Menelaus out of his palace for being an idiot and Menelaus cries and goes home. No innocent children getting sacrificed, no decades-long wars, and war wives like Penelope don't have to put up with all those disgusting men in her house. Unfortunately, Odysseus, another king, this time of Ithaca, had a grand old plan that all the Greek kings should make a pact that if anyone steals Helen, then the kings have to wage war on the kingdom that person comes from. It was seen as a great idea at the time, since literally everyone was after Helen, the most misogynistic failsafe of all time. Jokes on Odysseus though, who literally tried to hide when the soldiers told him it was time to armour up and head to Troy because ha ha ha, it's so fun to sew. Wait, what do you mean I have to reap now? Oh man! Listen, all I'm saying is that when I was a teenager, I lost my bank card and someone used it to steal most of the money I had in my account, which was the money I had for my part-time job at the time. This was right before Christmas. Anyways, the bank wouldn't give me my money back despite the fraudulent behaviour because I couldn't prove whether or not my bank card was stolen or if I'd lost it. I'm now sure it was stolen as I never did find that card. So they said it was neglect on my part and I never saw that money again. Now as an adult I know I should have called the police and reported it as stolen and as fraud but that's not my point here. My point is A. Insurance slash ancient Greek packs shouldn't be enacted in cases of neglect such as in the case of Menelaus, and B, don't let your teenage children bank with Barclays. That second one was a joke. Oh my god, Barclays, please don't sue. <laughs> but this isn't a coulda, woulda, shoulda. This is a Agamemnon did. Ah. Uh. And what did he do? He packed up a whole bunch of mostly innocent men, this is ancient times after all, most of whom were going to die, and off he went to Troy, collecting more Greek kings along the way. Like, remember the pact, bros? Remember the pact? Listen, I know men have the bro code, but a decade-long war is a bit much, isn't it? At some point, the bro code is more like bro law, which then turns into a bro bill, to a full-on declaration of bro dependence. And this bro dependence ends up killing so many bros. It's a bro bloodbath. A broad bath, if you will. This is why women live longer than men, I'm just saying. Oh, but let's not jump ahead to Troy. Oh, no, 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 no. We have to get stuck into what is, my opinion, the worst of his crimes. 
when old Agamemnon took his murderiness into his own family. So, Agamemnon and his gang were trying to set sail and get the war started, right? But they couldn't get off the beach. He had apparently angered Artemis, which... Bruh, what are you doing, offending one of the coolest goddesses? Are you high? Do you not know how ruthless Artemis is? And some stupid seer called Calchas told him, Hey, the gods are angry at you. Why don't you sacrifice your daughter? And instead of yeeting Calchas off the very tall place, this is Sparta style. I mean, to be fair, Menelaus was the king of Sparta, but still, siblings copy each other all the time. He's instead like, oh yeah, that sounds reasonable. (laughs) Yeah, all right, mate. Now, in some retellings, Agamemnon is pretty horrified and agonised and, oh no, I'm having to fridge my own child. Also, what's a fridge? Boo-hoo! But here's the thing, he still does it. He still sacrifices his own daughter. Best of the Greeks? Yeah, if the best Greeks regularly their kids to take part in a stupid war for your equally stupid brother and Colchis, the seer, is equally moronic. If you had the power to convince a king to sacrifice his child to the gods, surely you could have been like, the gods are angry at you. You need to give all of the poor people in your kingdom lots of money. Or even, the gods are angry. You need to cook everyone a nice steak. Because honestly, have you ever had Wagyu beef? Infinitely better than child sacrifice, let me tell you. But you know what? Maybe the absolute numptiness runs in the family. But Agamemnon really doesn't stop to think, gee, I wonder if this will make my wife and family upset with me. No, not in the slightest. Then he leaves for ten years and lets Clytemestra, his wife, sit and come up with some clever ideas for revenge. He just murders poor Iphigenia. And what's worse is that he tricks his wife and daughter into it. Under the pretense that poor young Iphigenia will marry Achilles, her and Clytemestra journey to their camp where they proceed to realise that this isn't a ceremony in the slightest. Can you imagine that? Thinking you're going to marry the strongest, most handsome demigod in all of Greece, at least to teenage girls. I'm sure it must have been the equivalent to marrying Timothy Chamelet or Tom Holland or something. I guess for my generation it would probably be David Tennant or a Titanic-era Leonardo DiCaprio. Can you imagine? Thinking you're about to marry your celebrity crush and instead being slaughtered like a common pig for sacrifice. My only solace is that there are some versions of the myth where Artemis swaps out Iphigenia for a deer and has her secretly survive. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether Iphigenia survived or not. What matters is Agamemnon was prepared to kill his own child for a war that wasn't even with someone he was beefing with. The beef has gone too far. It's a whole bloody ham up in here. But it's bad beef. It's not Wagyu at all. I know that doesn't make any sense, but I'm upset, okay? Speaking of the Artemis ex machina, that is an example of an ancient retcon. The great Athenian playwright Euripides was the one who thought, "Mm, nah man, this is way too dark. And he added the part about Artemis saving Iphigenia at the last minute. So we know that even the ancient Greeks were giving Agamemnon the bombastic side-eye here. The criminal offensive side-eye even. Okay, now let's move to the war. This is where I need to abandon my usual scholarly rhetoric of 
Let's put aside our modern culture and biases as much as we can and analyse this from the cultural context of the time because to quote Lego Batman, no, I don't want to do that. Because when you talk about women, like they're nothing but objects for you to use, mm, I'm going to throw that cultural bias at you like a batarang because ew, what am I referring to? So the Trojan War has gone on for almost a decade at this point. And the oh-so-wonderful Greek heroes have gotten spoils of war along the way. Not just treasure, but women. Actual women they treat as spoils of war. Oh yay! Oh so wonderful! Gee, isn't that swell? Can you tell I'm being sarcastic? Anyways, Agamemnon is made to give up one of his women, essentially a slave of the worst kind, a prisoner of war, and let her go back to her father, who is a priest of Apollo. If he doesn't, he risks angering the gods again. Now, I suppose I ought to give a modicum of credit here and say, Yay! Agamemnon let his prisoner of war go! Hip hip hooray! You did a good thing! Good job, the bar is in Tartarus! But I can't even give him kudos for letting a stolen woman go back to her family. Not just because he stole her in the first place, but because any respect he might have earned is immediately eviscerated by him demanding another hero's woman. Like a toddler throwing a tantrum, Agamemnon is missing a toy, and now he wants to take someone else's, and ugh. Even calling a war prisoner a toy as a joke just gave me the ick. I gave myself the ick. Ugh. Good job, millennia-old character. You just made me give myself the ick. God, I hate him so much. Ugh. So he takes Achilles' war bride, basically, causing Achilles to lose his ever-loving mind and refuse to fight. I don't understand how anyone can be considered the best of the Greeks or an amazing king or hero when he angers his most valuable fighter in such a way. And make no mistake, Achilles is a demigod whose mother has Zeus's ear. He's the most powerful fighter. Without him, the Greeks suffer immensely. Not only because he indirectly asked Zeus to make the Greeks suffer without him because Achilles is petty like that, but because Achilles really is that good of a fighter. There's a reason why, if you pull a random person from the street, they would know Achilles, but they wouldn't know Diomedes or whatever. It's kinda Achilles' thing. So, you miff off your best fighter, and now they refuse to fight. Then, when you eventually realise you beefed up, and this is many deaths later, you don't even deign to visit Achilles to make amends yourself. You send other people to do your dirty work for you, which I know, he's a monarch, so he's used to doing that. Come on, man, just swallow your pride. Although, I do have to say the same thing to Achilles here, as he's also being a petulant man, baby. You know, I just realised I'm kind of acting like I hate the Iliad, but I absolutely don't. I prefer the Odyssey, but the Iliad is great. It's dramatic, horrific, tragic, and I know it's a cliche, but it's truly epic. But more than that, it is a mess. It's so messy, and as previously established, I'm a nosy Nelly. Besides, it's super violent in an almost, like, comical way. Just thought I'd say that. My beef is with Agamemnon, not the Iliad. Let's flash forward to the end of the war now. Troy has fallen at last, and Agamemnon takes yet another prisoner of war, the priestess Cassandra. Now, Cassandra is also a prophet, but one who was cursed by Apollo to never be believed. She has a premonition of hers and Agamemnon's death if he brings her home, but of course he doesn't believe her. Now, I can't actually blame Agamemnon for this, 
because he's just a man. He can't get around a literal God-given curse. But I think he really ought to have listened to Cassandra here. Not because what she's saying is true, but also it's the fact that it's common sense. You're bringing your war slave, one whom you've clearly used in the most awful way to cheat on your wife, Clytemnestra, and you're bringing her home? Hey, honey! Sorry that war went on for so long. Are you over the fact that I killed our daughter yet? Well, I have something to cheer you up. Here's my war bride. I'm sure you two will get along swimmingly. Do you get it? Swimmingly? Because in one version, Clytemestra kills him in the bathtub. Dark humour! Ding, ding, ding! But honestly, I have no idea how Agamemnon made it this far alive. How he managed to survive the Trojan War without a mass mutiny against him by the regular soldiers is something I can only explain by the fact that his allies, the other kings and rulers, were elite fighters in their own right, and it wouldn't have gone well for any mutineers at all. That's the only explanation I have for him surviving that long. But eventually, his many awful decisions catch up to him. I know I was being a bit silly before fate quoting Agamemnon's return home and his first meeting back and his reunion with Clytemestra, but it, it kind of goes pretty much like that. He comes home after 10 years at war, all full of himself and his achievements. He expects his wife to be loving and greet him warmly. He expects his wife to have been faithful, to have been sitting obediently and dutifully waiting for his return and, oh, we'll get to that little rant later. Not once does he acknowledge that his sacrificing their daughter was absolutely messed up. Then he introduces Clytemestra to Cassandra and expects his wife to look after her. It's at this point that I have to think the part of his brain reserved for tact is instead replaced with nothing but the audacity. Honestly, I don't know how Clytemestra kept it together the way she did. But keep it together she absolutely did. Enough for her and her lover to murder him in the bathtub. Surprise, surprise! She never forgot how he treated their daughter and how he left for 10 years to fight in a war over a woman who happens to be her sister. Can you imagine if your spouse left you for 10 years because of your sibling? And even though her actions led her to lose her life, her anger was too great to let go of. And I probably need to do an episode about Clytemestra in the future, aka the worst wife in Greek mythology as she seems to have gotten the Circe treatment of feminist retellings in recent years. If this is something that you're interested in, you can message me and I'll let you know how at the end of the podcast. Anywho, you would think that death would shut the man up, but <laughs> apparently not. There's a part of the Odyssey where Odysseus has to venture into the underworld, or, well, sort of. He kind of goes to the entrance of the underworld and the ghosts he needs to speak to come to him. This is also part of the Odyssey where Odysseus is recounting this particular adventure himself and one thing you need to know about him is Odysseus is kind of a liar, at the very least an unreliable narrator. So we don't know if he's actually telling the truth here. But I'm going to act like he's being 100% truthful because it helps my anti-Agamemnon agenda. At least I'm open with my bias. Agamemnon appears to Odysseus as a ghost and you would think he would have something important to say. You know, being a ghost. Maybe give Odysseus a bit of advice on how to get home. Maybe actually be helpful. Well, I'm sure you agree with that because you, dear listener, are sensible. And unlike Agamemnon, you probably care about <gasps> other people besides yourself. As it stands, 
Agamemnon can only think about himself and his woes and espouts some of the most incel tear nonsense I've ever heard. Let's hear from the clan himself, shall we? Yes, I know I said I was going to put the books and stuff away. I lied, okay? I need you to hear his words so you can know how much of an actual donut this dude is. When I got back home, I thought I would be welcomed, at least by my slaves and my children. <gasps> yes, those lovely slaves! They should have been happy to greet the person who literally earns them. Oh, of course. I'm so sorry, Agamemnon. You're totally right. Let's hear what he said about his wife. I would say that it only gets worse from here, but I think the slaves thing is worse than sexism. Let's just say it doesn't get any better. So here's what he says about Clytemestra. She has such an evil mind that she has poured down shame on her own head and on all other women, even the good ones. You can't tell right now, but I'm vibrating in anger. So the actions of one woman makes the entire gender bad? Alright, Agamemnon, how about we condemn all of mankind for the fact that you, literally, tricked your own daughter into getting sacrificed? Screw all the good that men have done over the centuries, you're all shamed because of Agamemnon, the same way all women are shamed by Clytemestra. Get out of here, Nelson Mandela. Screw you, Malala. And every doctor who worked for Doctors Without Borders, shame on you. You're shamed. I'm shamed. We're all shamed. Okay, I need to calm down because I'm starting to sound like the end of a Shakespearean play. <laughs> What's crazy is that these are only like a handful of the lines he speaks. I'm giving you the highlight reel of his awfulness. Right here, we're going to get into the true red pill theorising. And you know what I told a little lie earlier? He does actually give Odysseus some advice. You want to know what it is? You must never treat your wife too well. I apologise for the angry breathing in this episode, but I'm just so cross. I'm actually giving myself a bit of a tummy ache. Thank God I have yoga after this. There's a lot to unpack from this, right? Because right now I'm standing there confused like that John Travolta gif. My brother in Zeus, where on earth did you treat Clytemester well? Was it when you abandoned her for 10 years? When you murdered her daughter? Or when you brought a girl back home and asked her to look after her for you? Can you please point it out? Please help me see. I have astigmatism and I need your assistance. And finally, to add proper insult to injury, to put the cherry on the sexist Sunday that makes up Agamemnon's psyche, he asks Odysseus about his son, but not for his remaining daughter. Because do you expect this man to be any different now? Since all women are ruined forever, obviously. Then they both cry together, mourning the loss and betrayal, and Agamemnon returns to the underworld where he belongs. But his views about women continue on internet forums and Twitter for all time. Truly, his legacy is a most honourable one. And that's a summary of Agamemnon. One of my least favourite characters in all Greek mythology. I feel like we got a little bit heated there, didn't we? Okay, I did. You guys were just listening to my angry rant. I hope you enjoyed it. And that's a wrap on series one of Greeks and Geeks. I hope you liked it. Season two will be hopefully arriving in the spring. If you want to follow me as I develop series two, follow me on Twitter or TikTok. All the links for these are in the summary of this episode. And as always, please don't forget to rate the podcast and review if you're listening via Apple and tell your friends. Word of mouth is apparently the top way podcasts get off the ground. Thank you for listening to series one of Greeks and Geeks. 
I have absolutely loved chatting with or rather at you guys. But for now, I've been your host Sabrina and I'm geeking out. See you next time. Bye.